to understand how we arrive at the will of God, what can be involved in the process or the dynamics of having the will of God performed in our lives, the will of God fulfilled in our lives. That's what we're going to try to get a hold of. And I believe God will help us. But we need to start with a basic understanding that we were undone. We were in sin. Nobody could have come to God except he was first drawn of the Holy Spirit. You don't just decide to be a Christian altogether alone apart from God's will, God's conviction, God's power, God's, uh, as we say, God's the call of God reaches out to you. That's why you're in the church. How many know you're in the church because God loved you? He called you. He reached out for you. And that is a wonderful thing to think that we're here tonight by God's will, through God's will, by God's grace, because of God's grace. So none of us are here just because we're good looking. That's obvious. None of us are here just because we're rich. That's obvious. We're here because God loved us and because God cared for us and because God found us. He found us. We were sinners. He found us. He brought us in. He loved us. He cared for us. He redeemed us. And so we should know that's what this wonderful song, the alabaster box, that's why it connects with us. And I'm making this song kind of part of my sermon, part of our opening remarks here. It's kind of the song is going to be the introduction tonight of what I want to say to you, because the first thing you have to understand about God is that God has redeemed you and saved you. And this song captures that when especially on that powerful line that says others don't really know what he's done for me. Well, every person in this place has or at least you should have some very deep and rich understanding of what God has done for you personally. How he's, and some of us in this place, we may not fully know, but we know to some degree how bad we were and how horrible we would have become even more. We would have been even worse today than we were when we were in the world if God had not found us and brought us out. I think we ought to put our hands together and thank the Lord for it. Amen, amen. And the church said amen. I glance over here, by the way, and I see both brother and sister Francis tonight. So we've been welcoming brother Francis, but his better half is here. Sister Francis, stand up. Give her a great big welcome. They're going to be working with us. God bless you. Good to have you. You're going to enjoy seeing this couple around, and they'll be preaching and working and laboring here in so many different capacities. Now I want Sister Joy to sing, and I want you to begin to just think about what God has done for you. Sister Joy, let's sing Alabaster Box. Through the tears that made her blind She felt such pain 
And some even spoke in anger. She heard folks whisper, there's no place here for her kind. But still on she came, though the shame that flushed her face. Till at last she knelt before his feet. And though she spoke no You see, I've been. 
Joe, I know you're not feeling Well, you don't know. No one really knows, you see, but you, what the Lord has done for you. Now, we're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to read a little bit. I'm not going to preach too long. And, uh, Brother Pagan, you just got back from Houston, Texas. And uh, how many folks were at the Spanish, the National Spanish Conference approximately? Over 10,000 people attended. <laughs> 350 got the Holy Ghost. 10,000 in a... That is amazing. And I'm glad you made it home safe. We had a small group that went down there. And I know you must be exhausted tonight. It's good to see you here. Brother Felipe has been working so hard. And we appreciate him and his wonderful staff and group that are continuing to grow a Spanish church here in the city of Indianapolis and you ought to be holding them up in prayer and I want to remind you that these wonderful people, a great number of them, don't do well in English but they are members of this church they're Calvary, they support this church they pay their tithing into this church and they are members of Calvary Tabernacle and they are a growing help to us and a tremendous influence and we thank God for them And if you haven't visited the new auditorium over there, you need to do so. It just really will stun you when you walk in there, how so many people pitched in and put this together. Now, let's look at Jeremiah 18. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, or the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. This is a wonderful example of how God sometimes uses the common thing to teach the uncommon lesson. God can use little things. He can use the everyday things of life. He can use the conversation of a friend to influence your life. He can use the words of your companion to change your life. He can use a song to touch you or a simple sermon or the smile of a child to touch you. So now he sends his prophet down to the potter's house. I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made. I want you to say it. So he made again another vessel. A very important thing here. He made another vessel. And then catch this phrase. It's the title of my sermon tonight. As seemed good to the potter. Let's say that together. As seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. This is obvious from verse number six that he wanted to use the dynamics of the potter's wheel to teach them a lesson. And so we see this verse 6. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. I suppose for as long as I've been preaching, there has been, as long as I've been 
around and in my life, and I would think probably in the lives of all Pentecostal people over the past many decades, there has been a subculture, for lack of another word or phrase, a subculture in Pentecost of people who have refuse to become balanced in their thinking. And they have overemphasized the gifts of the Spirit. They've overemphasized the uh, manifestations of the supernatural to the point that they began to look to uh, certain direction or look to people or look to certain manifestations of the supernatural for direction to the point of ignoring the whole of the word of God. And it is uh, sad to observe how gullible some people are. That's why God has given us the book, the Bible, so that you can Try the spirits to the standard of this Bible right here so that you're not deceived. The Bible tells us not to be cast to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But there's always been a subculture. There's always been people who have gone to seed on certain things. And they have caused tremendous strife and division. Uh, We used to have a phrase... In the 60s, 50s and 60s, probably more in the 60s than the 50s, uh, a kind of a coined phrase that categorized some of those who had gone haywire on certain things, ignoring parts of the Bible, overemphasizing certain components, uh, or at least things that they said were important, uh, and we called them latter rain people. And some people called them the latter splatter. But these were people that claimed extreme supernatural gifts. God talked to them all the time. People uh, who said that uh, they claimed that God talked to them all the time. Now, I know I'm going, you think I'm going negative on you here. I'm trying to get you saved. I'm trying to keep you from falling prey to evils in these last days. I wish somebody would help me a little bit. And some of these people would... Uh, would claim that God told them this and God told them that. And uh, they had revelations and dreams and so forth. uh, And uh, certain visions that they claimed were from God. But many of the things that they said God told them were contrary to the word of God. And people built uh, in some some periods of time in the Pentecostal movement, people built dynamic ministries on some pretty bizarre claims. People claimed, for an example, certain people claimed that they had oil coming out of their hands. They didn't even have to uh, anoint people with oil. They just had oil dripping out of their hands. And uh, some people uh, claimed that while they were preaching, the blood of the cross would uh, appear on their foreheads and Uh, It was extreme, extreme. And, of course, thousands and thousands of people would flock to some of these fraudulent ministries. And uh, many people were hurt. Many people were deceived. Many people were pulled out of good churches. 
Whenever the devil wants to sell something in the spiritual arena that is not good, it's poison, it's not bad, he will always find somebody who will uh, pretend to be uh, a prophet or pretend to be a supernatural person to deceive people. Many false prophets have gone out and they deceive many people. I don't guess anybody wants me to preach tonight. And if you read that New Testament carefully... I'm in good company. The Apostle Paul spent a good deal of time trying to warn people against these false teachers and false prophets. You better be careful of anything that's not attached to Acts 2.38 and not attached to the truth and not attached to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's been a subculture of people that have followed this. They followed these so-called signs and wonders. Now, Jesus said that it was a sinful and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. People are essentially, sadly to say, all of us, I'm not saying you are and I'm not, all of us as human beings are very gullible. That's why con artists can pull off so many scams in this country because people are essentially gullible. They're very believable. We want to believe the best. And it's pretty hard for some people to appreciate the fact that there is such a thing as evil and perverse things and that there are things which uh, are uh, extremely devious. We want to believe that people are good. Uh, somebody knocks at your door trying to sell you a product and some, uh, you know, they drop. I'm not saying everybody that does door to door sales work is evil, but. There are people that come into a city and they drop off a hundred con artists and they work a town and they might be selling anything and they'll promise you whatever. And the next thing you know, they're gone. They'll blacktop your driveway or whatever with paint and you think you're getting tar and you know how it goes. Uh, and people are, they just can't believe that somebody would just lie to them and cheat them. But the facts are that there are people who will lie to you and cheat you and, and uh, con you and rip you off, including some people in corporate America. All the crime in this country is not blue-collar crime. There's political crimes and there's white-collar crimes and bank crimes and investment crimes. I wish I could get a little help now. So people are very gullible. That's why all these things work, because people are very gullible. And I'm very grieved to say that there's a lot of gullibility in people concerning religious things. And therefore, you have numbers of people who make a living out of exploiting God's people, misusing, misinforming God's people, extorting God's people and claiming to be something that they are not. And we've always had this subculture. And people have always been very given to it. And one of the things that causes people to be so easily taken in is because many people in pursuit of the will of God, many people in pursuit of God's purposes in their life. It's an honest pursuit. It's a right pursuit. But many people who want God to use them, who want God somehow to anoint them, people who are looking for ministry, people who are looking for an opportunity to serve are often taken in by people who make them promises. And sometimes they also give them so-called words from the Lord that are contrary to the Scripture. And people are so easily taken in because, watch what I'm going to say now, because as human beings, we're looking for shortcuts that do not exist. Right. 
We're looking for, in business, many people get in trouble because they're looking for, as we say, euphemistically, the fast buck. They're looking for the quick turnaround. They're looking for instant, uh, instant uh, wealth. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people are sucked into the dark uh, uh, abyss of gambling because they think it's a way to riches. I can just put this $5 down and put this $10 down and I'm going to become a millionaire. I want to go on record tonight. I am against lottery. I am against gambling. I believe it's evil. I don't believe... People should be involved in it. I don't believe states should run lotteries and bingo parlors and casinos. I don't think Christians should participate in this evil because it is a destructive force. It's one tax, ladies and gentlemen, you do not have to pay. And so we need to pray for our state that just becomes more and more dependent on this this evil money. I call it evil money. And uh, it's not a good thing. You wouldn't send your young people out to make money in prostitution. And you shouldn't send your young people out to make money in the gambling business. It's a vice. 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 It's a vice. It's a vice because it grips the hearts of men. It's a vice because it squeezes the life out of people. It takes from people their very source of income. People get addicted to it. And you can't hardly pay for a Diet Coke at a convenience store anymore because people are lined up to buy lottery tickets. It's a tragedy. And uh, so there it is. I just made it clear to you how I feel. Not that you're surprised. So we have had for a long time this subculture of people who are constantly trying to find somebody who will prophesy to them or somebody that will tell them this and give them a word for a Lord from the Lord. And they're looking fundamentally for a shortcut, a shortcut to spiritual riches, a shortcut to spiritual development, a shortcut to the will of God. Well, I want to preach to you tonight that there are no shortcuts somewhere you're going to have to go down and submit yourself or surrender yourself to the hand of the potter. You've got to get your life surrendered to God. Everybody say surrender. Surrender is the fundamental element of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's no surrender, there can never be any success in your spiritual life. You can't know God until you first surrender yourself to God. You must surrender yourself to God's word or God's authority. You must surrender yourself to God's people. There are many people in the church world today, in, even in our churches, who will never amount to anything because they never get the authority issue straightened out. They cannot submit to the word. They cannot submit to the man of God. And they cannot submit to God's people. The Bible said we're supposed to be servants one of another. And yes, you are your brother's keeper. Yes, you do have an obligation to live a godly, holy life. Not just for yourself, but for the purpose of exalting and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness here tonight? But we've always had people that try to find a shortcut. If I can just become a great preacher without having to be under the authority of a preacher. Well, you will never be able to be trusted with authority until you first learn to submit yourself to authority. 
It doesn't matter about your talent. It matters about your attitude. It doesn't matter about your money. It matters about your attitude. It doesn't matter about your special gifts. It, it matters about your attitude. God expects you to surrender yourself to Him. We cannot avoid this relationship or this dynamic with the potter. Somewhere, every church member, every church, every minister has got to submit himself to the hands of the potter. And the potter, according to what we read here, uh, we get this wonderful illustration here. The potter is going to make of you what he wants to make of you. It's according to the will of the potter. That's what it means when we say we surrender our lives to God. You can always find somebody that will say what you want to hear them say. But God, on the other hand, will not always say what you want him to say. You can say, God, I want to do your will. But you cannot determine what God's will is for you on your own, uh, on your own reconnaissance, on your own, uh, on your own theories, and call it the will of God. If it's the will of God, it's got to be God's will. If it's the purpose of God, it's got to be God's purpose, not your purpose. Somebody said, well, I want to do this. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a pastor. I want to be this. I want to, I want to uh, have this particular gift. I want to have this particular ministry. The question is not what you want. The question is what does God want for you? God knows you. He knows your frame. He knows your ability. And God knows how to direct your lives. Somewhere you've got to get down to the potter's house. Somewhere you've got to put your hand in the hands of God somewhere you've got to surrender to God or you will never amount to anything trust me in this work I have dealt with rebellious people most of my life and rebellion is a serious problem it's a serious problem for your children it's a serious problem for you it's a problem for any of us we must learn to surrender to God and there are people who exploit other people and extort other people who have a rebellious attitude and who do not want to surrender. If I preach to you something you don't like from that book called the Bible, and it's true, and it's in the Word, you need to submit to it. Just because you can go out and find a preacher to disagree with what the book says doesn't mean you found anything worthwhile. All you found is somebody willing to lie to you. And many people will lie to you to get access to your pocketbook. Others will lie to you to get access to your admiration. Because it matters to some people that they're admired by uh, the populace. They want to be popular. They want to be admired by people. They want to be uh, esteemed by people. And they'll tell you whatever they think you want to hear to get your admiration. But we need some preachers today that will preach the Word of God, declare the will of God, uphold the purposes of God, regardless of what anybody thinks about it. There are no shortcuts. Somewhere the church has got to come to the potter. Somewhere every one of us must submit ourselves into the hands of the potter. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it. It it wearies me, it discourages me, it hurts me to see so many people who want to do this and who want to do that. And you know what is amazing? I find this amazing. That some people say that God spoke to them and God told them to do this. And usually the people who are 
somehow got some supernatural, so-called supernatural, pseudo-supernatural relationship and God speaks to them are usually the people that haven't accomplished one thing. I don't know how rebellious people, I don't know how people that have never submitted to God, they've never submitted to the church, they've never submitted to God's people, they've never submitted to spiritual authority, think just because they can go somewhere else or because they can get involved in some other ministry that suddenly all their problems are going to be solved and they're going to become this or that or something else. I don't think it works out that way. I think what you have to do somewhere at some point is bring yourself to the foot of the cross, allow God's blood and God's will and God's purpose to touch your life and change your life. There are no shortcuts. I'm trying to save somebody tonight. Because you can find somebody that will tell you whatever you want to hear. People will tell you, oh, you're the greatest person in the world. You're sitting under Brother Mooney's ministry. You're oppressed. and You need to get out of there. And you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to spend the rest of your life chasing pipe dreams. You're going to change, you're going to spend the rest of your life chasing some kind of scam, some kind of spirit that is not connected to this Bible right here. First of all, listen to me. You need to be a balanced person. You got to take the whole word. You can't eat part of this. You got to take the whole book, the whole Bible, the whole word. Somebody said, oh, I want this gift, I want this manifestation, I want this to happen in my life. But some people that want some things like that often don't want to live right. Nobody's going to help me now. But if God helps me, I don't need you to help me. I'm going to tell you what the truth is here. So now... The first thing everybody has to become. Now watch, God said, I'm going to send you down to uh, the potter's house. And I want you to behold a rock, uh, uh, how he works. And he works on wheels. See, that's, that's the problem. We don't want to get into this area where God's going to work on us. Where God's going to mold us. Where God's going to put the pressure on us. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants, everybody wants instantaneous ministry. Instantaneous, just somebody just prophesy over me and tell me I'm ready to go out and preach the general conference. I'm ready to go to Ethiopia and have a big crusade. You know what you need to get? You need to get a life. You need to wake up and understand you cannot bypass this, this room of wheels. You cannot bypass this place called the potter's house. Somewhere you got to surrender. There's nobody that can prophesy over you and make you a preacher. There's nobody. There's nobody that can just prophesy over you and give you supernatural gifts. They can talk the talk, but they can't give you anything. If it is a gift from God, it's got to come from God. It can't come from men. If it is anointing of the Lord, it's got to come from the Lord. Somebody say yes. And so we have people that will take our young people and they will try to prophesy over them. Look, folks, I'm not a novice. I've been at this a long time. You can go to meetings all over this country and there's always somebody that will say, do this, do that. They'll direct your life. They'll give you all kinds of instruction. I have spent a good deal of my energy as a pastor picking up broken pieces and trying to get people back on the potter's wheel. People that 
somehow hungered to just have somebody to tell them uh, something that would give them access to a shortcut. Just tell me how I can do this, how, how I can be a great preacher, how I can be used of God, how can I can become a great leader in the church, how I can have special anointings and special gifts. Tell me how I can do that without ever submitting to the pastor. How I can do that without ever carrying the burden and the weight and the responsibility of working in a church. You know what? If some folks didn't stick around and build churches, there wouldn't be any churches for these con artists to work in. <laughs> Am I too bold for you tonight? Uh, you, you ain't seen near. I'm sorry. I may be, end up in a storefront before this is over, but I ain't near as bold as I'm fixing to get over the next few years if God gives me grace. I'm walking. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm walking down the streets of New York City and I'm crying. I'm praying. I'm crying so hard that the tears is falling onto my onto my clothes, my tithing, uh, my ties, not my tithing, but my ties uh, and my garments. And I'm just I'm just I'm not I'm just crying. I try to stop because it looks stupid to be walking down the road crying, crying, crying. People uh, one lady said, are you okay? I said, I'm okay. I just kept walking because she must have thought maybe my dog died or something. But I'm telling you, God was working on me and I was asking the question over and over and over and over and over. God, how do we reach not just this city, but how do we reach this generation? How do I How do I uh, somehow reach the city of Indianapolis? What? How can I be a better pastor? What can I do? I'm so, I'm so desperate, God. You've got to talk to me and you know what the Holy Ghost seemed to speak to me? God seemed to say to me, be bold, be bold, be so bold you're scary. I came back and I told Mickey a few days later, not that day, I said, Mickey, God has given me a whole different level of boldness. I just feel so radical on the inside because I realize we're down to the last days. We're in a great fight and there's all kinds of evil spirits. There's all kinds of perversion. There's all kinds of wickedness. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been around too long to believe that God is going to anoint and bless people who are not living a godly, holy, righteous life. I'm sorry. I just feel like saying this. I don't believe the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah can lead the church anywhere except to hell. I don't believe the spirit of worldliness can take the church anywhere except to hell. I don't believe false doctrine can take the church anywhere except to hell. And I want to say it one more time. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There's no shortcuts, apostolic. we got to get back to the potter's house. We've got to get back into the hands of the man of God that can mold and shape our lives. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. I feel like my soul's on fire. I feel the power of God in this place. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost on me. Somebody say yes. Yes. I don't want to be so bold that I scare you, but I want to tell you, there are no shortcuts. And you're not gonna, you're not gonna find some way 
to become some great supernatural. You students that are hanging around here, let me tell you, there's nobody can just lay hands on you and build uh, you into a preaching uh, ministry and give you this and give you that and give you that. And you're out, uh, you're out at Hooters half your time and buying wine coolers at the local. Get a life. My God, help you to understand that you've got to flee fornication. You've got to flee ungodliness. You've got to turn off the video machine. You've got to turn off the television. You've got to get in that prayer room until God touches you with the fire of His anointing. Somebody say hallelujah. That's called the potter's house. It's a house of wheels. It's a house of disorientation. The potter's house is a house of surrender. It's not a house of arrogance. It's not a house of haughtiness. It's a house of surrender. It's a house of submission. It's a house of truth. It's a house of prayer. It's a house where we say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen, 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 amen. I appreciate Brother Pagan. He's building a wonderful ministry here. But Brother Pagan, I believe, is submitted. I believe he surrendered. He comes in every week and says, Pastor, whatever you want me to do, I want to do this the way you want it done. And uh, he never has been arrogant. He never has said, well, I don't care about you. I don't care what you say. And you see, that is life in the potter's house. It's a life of surrender. Now, watch this carefully. He went down and it's a work wrought on wheels. You know, I, uh, I know I probably shouldn't. This is a bit dangerous, but I trust these men. I look up there and see Josh Anderson. Josh is, uh, you know, Josh spent two years here in the wheelhouse or three years in the wheelhouse. You know, God, some of you, some of you, some people say, well, Josh Anderson, you know, man, he is the youth pastor at Calvary. Let me tell you what he was before he was the youth pastor at Calvary. He was, first of all, a good young person sitting right over here. And even though he did some things he ought to be ashamed of, he never caused me too much trouble. But you could always go to Josh. Brother Brosom could always go to Josh and he'd say, Josh, you know, you need to straighten up or whatever. And Josh always straightened up. But Josh was a good, clean young people, good young person, moral man. He went to school. He didn't just go to school. He was a good student. He went to class. Some of you hot shots want to go to school, but you don't want to go to class. What are you, a nerd? Where are you from? You don't think there's any... You've got to spend some time in a potter's house. You've got to spend some time on the wheel. You've got to spend some time submitted, surrendered to God. Oh, I wish I could get this across. And then after he got out of college, he hung around here and was an absolute gopher in every sense of the word. He loaded chairs. I I watched uh, Josh the other day. You know, he's a big time pastor now at Calvary, but he was still loading chairs and tables out the campground. And I said, Josh, I'm sorry you have to do that. I know you got other things to do. You know what he said? He said, no problem. He, he wouldn't know what to do if he didn't move chairs in the summer. It's like part of his nature. He sees a chair, he tries to move it somewhere. And tables and whatever. You know, that is, you know why? Because God 
polished him. And God worked him. And God just molded his spirit. So now he doesn't care. He says, God, whatever you've got for me to do, I don't care. Just get up in the morning. Let's find something to do for God. God is praised in everything. God is glorified in everything. You see, it's surrendering the attitude, the heart, and the spirit to God. And you can't get there until you spend some time on the potter's wheel. Clap your hands to the Lord. You got to spend some time there. Verse 4. Go to verse 4. I went down to the potter's house and behold, a raw, a, he wrought a work. He wrought a work. Who wrought the work? God wrought the work on wheels. Verse 4. And the vessel that he made of clay. Now, we come to verse 4 and we see some dynamics beginning to take shape. First of all, you will never succeed in the potter's house. There's three elements that you have to have for God to use your life. Now, I know some of you are saying, I don't have to listen to this sermon. I'm going to go to such and such crusade, and somebody's going to spit in my face or lay hands on me or prophesy over me, and I'm going to take the shortcut. No, what you're going to do is you're going to be an awesome failure. If you read on down, I wish I had time to preach this whole thing, but if you read on down, God asks the question, why would you leave the snows of Lebanon? Why would, you, why would you forsake the house of the Lord? Why would you forsake the beautiful uh, things that I've given you and the beautiful experiences that I've given you for things that are just, you know, you don't even know what they are. We have got young people today wandering all over the country trying to find somebody to prophesy over them and they completely ignore this book. This book is a prophecy over you. I'll prophesy to you. Obey them that have rule over you, for they watch for your soul. Now, don't ignore that. Submit yourself one to another. Is that a good prophecy? Amen. Younger, submit yourself to your elders. That's in the book. You say, well, God's going to use me just to uh, lay in the floor and speak in tongues all the time. The Apostle Paul said there's more to this church than just speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, he said, don't even come together in a public place and just speak in tongues. People think you're nuts. And he said, all the gifts of the Spirit are given for the edification of the church, not for your grandizement, but for the edification of the church. We got a little myth. A terrible, terrible, terrible myth that works in Pentecostal circles. And pardon me for preaching to the church tonight, but I just got to uh, unload what I feel on my heart tonight. Many, many, many people think that they're seeing things. If you are a television Pentecostal, you may think that you're seeing things that you're not seeing. I love it when it gets quiet at Calvary. And when it gets quiet and I feel like I didn't feel that there, but when I feel like you're... You're not, uh, you're kind of resenting what I'm saying. It really stirs me up then. Because it don't frighten me. If you think it frightens me, I'd rather be in a storefront with the truth than to be here with a lie. And you can mark that down. And I, I know I may have to eat those words someday, but let me tell you something. We're too close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be messing with this thing. You leave this apostle's doctrine alone. You leave this precious book alone. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. We need the truth. And if you want to pay a preacher to preach whatever you want to hear, well, there are a dime a dozen. You can find them on every street corner. They'll say whatever you want to say. But I hope to God I can say this with confidence. I'm not your little hireling. I believe this book right here, and I'm here to preach this book until God comes for us and stand on this word, because that is our only hope. 
some charismatic personality is not your hope. God is your hope. Your answer is not a big choir. Your answer is the Holy Ghost. Your answer is not a beautiful building with pews and carpet. Your answer lies in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Somebody say yes. There's this little myth that we have that works in our ranks sometimes that people think if now here's what would happen let's say I know this is hard you're not going to like this I believe in praying we have tremendous miracles how many know we've had a lot of healing miracles in this church how many know we pray for the sick almost every time we come together here and we have many 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 miracles that happen right up here around this altar but if you think That there is a church anywhere, a service anywhere, not Ethiopia, not the United States. There's no place ever where anybody has ever seen everybody healed in every situation, every time. Even in the life of Jesus, did he not say there were not many mighty works done in Capernaum because of unbelief? And it didn't mean that wasn't about that particular whole lesson there is not about people not having some kind of magic formula of faith. So many people walking around in guilt today because they think they didn't have faith because they're going through something. You can have all the faith possible for a human being to have and still go through a trial. Sometimes your faith will take you through a trial. And if you have true faith in God, you will say when you're in the middle of a trial, if God delivers me, amen. And if he don't, amen. If God saves my life, glory be to God. If God takes my life, glory be to God. Though he slay me, what did Job say? Though he slay me, yet will I... And the three Hebrew boys going into the fiery furnace, did they not say, we know he's able to deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we're still not going to bow down. We're going to hold. See, that's faith in the fire. That's faith in the trial. But you've got this little bubblegum faith that works out there. These little, these, uh, this little shallow stuff where people say, oh, well, you didn't get what you wanted tonight. It must be your faith. And so, you know, you're just having people walking around in guilt because they don't think they have enough faith. And that's a terrible teaching. When you have faith in God, when you trust in God, when you believe in the Lord, it may take you through some things. It may take you through some trials. Because God has ways that you need to be other than just giving you victories all the time. If all God did is just give you one victory right after the other, how would you ever, how could he ever form you and shape you? As a matter of fact, Paul taught us that in some cases we need to suffer so we can learn the definition of the word suffer. So God actually allows Christians to suffer so Christians can have empathy or pity for other people who are suffering. Because let me tell you, folks, this world's suffering. And you need to be able to empathize with this world, to have sympathy for this world. And if you've never suffered a thing, what would you know about suffering? Jesus suffered. Are we better than the Lord? He was a man acquainted with grief. He suffered many sorrows. The Bible said he was a man of sorrows. So this idea that Christianity has just come some kind of superficial joyology is bad teaching. But we have this little myth. Now, go back to our good brother here. This good brother received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You, the first night you worked, walked in here, man, you looked hopeless. But you got that smile on your face. And I got a feeling you're a better man than you were. Because the Holy Ghost has got a... Now, suppose... Suppose, just suppose. Now, we believe in divine healing. This is going to shock you. This is going to be bold. You ready for this? Are you buckled in? Don't try to take this lying down. 
You better set up for this one. Suppose he had some kind of terrible growth. Let's just imagine he had a terrible growth. And I came along and I touched that growth and I healed that growth and it went away. And you would say, Brother Mooney is a man of God. Not necessarily. Because the Bible, your Bible, the New Testament, not the Old Testament, plainly teaches us that you cannot just go by signs and wonders. First of all, how do you know in a big meeting? How would you know? I'm not trying to give you. Am I going too far here? I'm not trying to cast doubt. I'm not trying to make you cynical in any way. But you don't know. Maybe we've conspired. You don't know. And Jesus said that it was a sinful and an adulterous generation that seeketh after sign. It is a terrible thing for the church to start endorsing anything that they think is a miracle. Sometimes what you think is a miracle is not a miracle. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so well documented, and I'm sorry to have to preach like this. It grieves me to even have to preach like this. But we've had so much, so many charlatans out there, and the imagery is so strong of people who were pushed around in wheelchairs at so-called healing meetings, and they walked in, and they were put in wheelchairs, and they walked out, and people thought they were healed, and it was just a joke. That's why you say, well, what can, oh, we're just going to be lost and there's just no way we can ever figure this out. No, there is. Get the word of God in your heart and stand. Don't follow miracles. Don't follow signs. You get this Acts 238 message in you. You get it nailed down. You get this one God message in your heart. And that's what you follow. And you don't look to the right and you don't look to the left. You stay in the potter's house and you follow God. You labor and work and you carry your cross. You fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on it by the truth and say. That's the way you survive. That's the way you get strong. And that's the test. Because Jesus said that that's how he would test you in the last days. That's how he's going to test you. Have you read lately Matthew chapter 24? There are many that will come to him, Jesus said, and they will say, Have we not done this in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? And have we not healed the sick in thy name? And Jesus said, I will tell them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And somebody says truth doesn't matter or doctrine doesn't matter. How foolish to say that the truth doesn't matter when God himself is truth. Somebody said, well, you claim to know all the truth. Nobody can know all the truth. I don't, I'm not even sure I'd want to know all the truth. But I do want to know what God has for me. And God has truth for us. Somebody said the truth is unknowable. Then God is unknowable. It's the truth that set us free, makes us free. Then we have to have the truth to be free. So we have this kind of myth. And uh, people say, well, that's the way you test things out. Ladies and gentlemen, thousands and thousands of people followed thousands, packed auditoriums, packed auditoriums. This is recent history. Followed two or three whack, couple wacko women that claimed every time they prayed for people that gold fell from heaven. And, and gold flakes would fall in the auditorium and people would pass out and wallow in the floor and howl like dogs. And thousands of people followed that. And if they could just get touched by a gold flake, they thought their whole life, well, they were getting touched by flakes all right. And you, you talk about a ship that crashed and burned. That was the biggest farce that ever came across the American scene. And what was so tragic is that even though uh, they had, uh, they had uh, conspired to, to put these gold flakes in ventilation systems and everything else, they had all kinds of ways, it was just pure magic. 
magical stuff, you know. Magicians are pretty amazing. Have you ever been to a place where they're doing card tricks? Have you ever figured some of those out? You say, oh, people don't do that in religion. Hello. Now, most preachers don't preach like I'm preaching because they think, well, if you tell people the truth like this, people will have doubt and you're going to squash people's faith. No, I don't believe that because I trust you well enough to believe that you can hear this sermon and realize what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get people to get into the potter's house and stay there and not be following every wind of doctrine, every little whimsical, serendipitous thing that comes across the scene. Just get in there and love the truth and stay with it and abide in the place that God has put you and stay faithful. Stay faithful. Get in the potter's house. Submit yourself to the work of the Lord. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all of your heart. And get rid of this kind of superstar mentality. First of all, the world's not waiting on you. It's, am- it's amazing what the ego will do to a person. People think, oh man, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to rock the world. You know, people can't even hardly name. How many presidents have we had? 43, 44. What is Bush? 40. He's the 43rd president. Name me the other 42. You'd be hard pressed to name them all. Presidents. Name me. Tell me the names of. of there's, uh, let's just take the 140 main countries of the world. Name the presidents of all those countries or the prime ministers of all. You couldn't do it. Even President Bush couldn't do it. It was a joke there. It was a, you remember, remember Bush when he was running, he couldn't name the, you, you forgot that? He uh, just thought I'd throw that in. So you think you're going to become a household name and people are going to want your autograph and you're going to be able to come in a little limo and drive up in the back of the church and you're going to come in and preach your little sermon and people are just going to pass out and then your bodyguards are going to whisk you off to the Weston Hotel. And then you're going to spend the rest of the night propped up in front of HBO. That's going to be your ministry? I don't think so. You ought to be glad you've got a class to teach called Sunday school. You ought to be glad that you've got an opportunity to teach a Bible study. You ought to get your ego surrendered to the foot of the cross. Get yourself under the blood. Get in the potter's house and say, God, move me. Now watch this. Here's the dynamic. I'm quitting right here because way too long. But here's the dynamic. Watch this. Get in the hand of the potter. So, and what happens when you get into God's hands? Here is what can happen. Very few people, I would say, ever get into the potter's hands and get into the potter's house and manage to to be worked over, shall we say, by the potter without having some conflict in the process. Most people, now there are exceptions. I believe there are people... Who, because of their prayer life, their devotion to God, their their sincerity and all, I believe there are people who have put themselves in the potter's hands and who have never cracked. But they're rare breeds. And thank God for them. I believe there are some very special people in this world today. And you may not know their names. They may not be well known to any of us. But their lives have been in the hands of the potter. And they've never cracked. They've never, they've never faltered. They just said, God. And some of these are the suffering thousands of people that have accomplished great things. And we probably will never know who they are until we get over on the other side. And we might be surprised. And God's going to say, here's, uh, here's so-and-so. And look what they've done. You know, things can be happening all the way around you. You don't know everything the Holy Spirit is doing. 
Brother uh, Lloyd went down to French Lake, Indiana. He got a, knew somebody, got a little contact, and a Methodist preacher said, I want you to come down and preach at a Methodist church. But Larry come to me and he said, Brother Mooney, what do you think? Down in French Lake. I said, go down. Nobody, nobody's going to say anything. I trust Larry's going to not go down there and try to be a Methodist. He's going to go down there and be Pentecostal. And you know what he did? He preached a simple gospel message to them and challenged those Methodist people in French Lake, Indiana to receive the word of God. And he baptized nine. 15 people in one night in Jesus' name. Now watch, 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 watch. The pastor didn't baptize them. Larry baptized them. Brother Lloyd, he baptized them in that man's church. And the pastor stood over there. And Brother Larry Lloyd was baptized. I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You know that's got to be the Holy Ghost. When the Methodist man steps back and says, baptize my converts in the name of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. You're going back next week or the week following. And the pastor called and says, you know, that baptismal service we had wasn't good enough. Those folks that you baptized are wanting to receive the Holy Ghost. So Brother Lloyd... Is going to go back to French Lick, Indiana. And Brother Lloyd, I'm going to prophesy. I believe some of them, when you lay hands on them, are going to receive the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Come on, church, give him praise. You say, well... I wish God would use me like that. Well, you see, Larry Lloyd has been on the potter's wheel for most of his life. In the old wheelhouse, and God just works him over. Now, I have to say, Larry, you marred a few times. <laughs> you cracked several times. Isn't that right? And so have I. I'm not ashamed to admit. I, I'm, I'd like to preach about those people who never cracked up. But I cracked up a few times. And I know Larry's cracked up a few times. But now notice what the Bible says here. So when he get in there and there was no shortcut. Somebody didn't just come along when you were a young kid and say, go down and baptize Methodist. See, that's what people want. Uh, lean up again because I'm getting ready to slap you down. This is what people want. This is what people want. This is what people want. Preach at Calvary Tabernacle. Baptized Methodist. There you are. So Larry says, oh, okay. So I don't have to listen to anybody anymore. I don't, I don't need a pastor anymore. I don't need to submit to anybody anymore. I can just roll around out here. No, no, no. You've got to stay in the potter's house. Am I making sense tonight? I sure hope so. Now... And this is good preaching, by the way. Even if you don't believe it is, I'm going to tell you it is. Did I lose some of you? So, this is, by the way, somebody said, we need some old-fashioned Pentecostal preaching. This is it. You're hearing it right now. This is old-fashioned preaching. Stay in the potter's house. Don't follow every wind of doctrine. And so... Now, I want to just clarify this because people get squirrely on me. I'm not saying you have to stay submitted under my ministry for the rest of your life. Please don't take me there. That's not even, you've missed the whole point. And there's many people that have gone out with, from Calvary Tabernacle and have God's blessings on their life. And we wish all people God's speed. Don't ever burn your bridges. You might want to come back. But we wish you God's speed. Do well in whatever you do. Write well. Preach well. Sing well. Be a good missionary. Whatever God's called you to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an attitude here. All right, we got that nailed? So here it is. If you should break, if the clay should become marred, God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't quit working on you. He may have said, well, 
Let's try this again. Try this again. I've got to reshape you here. And he keeps making you over and over. He makes you another vessel as it seems good to him. And this is where we lose so many people. In the garden, the flesh cried out, not my will, but thy will be done. You know what that prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden reveals to you? That Jesus in his flesh would have, was tempted. Am I okay to say that? The Bible said he was tempted in all points, so he was tempted. He was tempted, and in his temptation he said that... If I just listened to my flesh, I would say, let this cup pass from me. Now, here's what the spirit was doing to the flesh that God had created for himself. God made for himself a body. He was, he, but he was fully man. Even though that was God manifest in the flesh, he was still man. And great is the mystery of godliness. God manifested in the flesh. So there he was. And everything that God did in the spirit, or in the flesh, through that body, he did by the power of the spirit that was in that flesh. Or the power of the Holy Ghost that was in that flesh. So the flesh, the flesh cried out and said, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't know if I can take this home to you right now, but I pray that the Holy Ghost will help me say this with some impact upon your soul. Stay in the hands of the potter. Chances are, like me and like most people, I don't know, I suspect Brother Jordan, you cracked a few times. Brother Anderson may have cracked most people that you know. There may be one or two people out there that you may meet some person that... But I don't know. Most of us have lots of failings and lots of trouble and we dislike. But God just says, okay, I'm not going to give up on you. Now, I do believe this. Now, this don't be offended by this. But had we never cracked, had we never faltered, had we never, we might have, we might have the chance of being greater than we probably are going to be. Because, you know, it's like if, if you're shaping a beautiful vase and the vase cracks, you may make, God may have to make a smaller vase. And, and if that vase cracks, you may have to make a smaller vase and a smaller vase, and pretty soon you may end up a dish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but thank God we're still on the table. <laughs> like, Maybe this is what David was thinking about when he said, if I can just be a doorkeeper in the house of God. So you just, whatever, as long as God just says, I'm going to keep make, I'm going to make you useful some way. Now you say, well, that's terrible. But you know, the Bible gave you an answer for that. The Bible said, well, you know, don't feel too bad about that. Because in some ways, it's better to be the cup that the guy drinks out of every day than the beautiful piece of china. I gave Brother Valbert. And Sister Valbert, two beautiful china cups. I paid a small fortune for them. And they never used them. I asked Brother Valbert, are you here, Brother Valbert, tonight? Brother Valbert, I asked him at the camp last week. I said, are, have, do you drink out of that beautiful bone china cup that I gave you, $35, $37.50? He said, no, it's so nice that we keep it in the china cabinet. And I said, and you drink out of those old stars? He said, yep, we still drink out of the old cups. So, I don't know. There's something to be said. You know, you can be this beautiful china cup in the closet, or you can be the mug that everybody drinks. I said, I, I, I may not be much, but I'm the mug everybody drinks out of every day. 
Just get in the church, wherever. If God wants you to be a beautiful... Every time we get something beautiful, I put it on the mantle at our home. And there's so much clutter on our mantle. Mickey said, for heaven's sake, would you stop putting all this stuff... I said, well, where do we put it? Put it on the mantle. And it's just a whole collective kind of, electric kind of thing up there, just everywhere. It's ugly. Mantle, piece, everything. So I do believe that some of us will be less than what we could have been if we had not marred, if we had not cracked. But thank God, even if we do crack, even if we have a bump in the road, God doesn't throw us away. He says, I think I'll make you over. And he just keeps working with us and working with us and working with us. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of Christianity. It's the essence of a spiritual walk, staying surrendered to God, because the only hope you have is to be what God wants you to be. And you may or may not know exactly what that is. And therein lies your dilemma. You can't just say, well, I want to be this or nothing. That's a bad thing to say. I want, I, if they don't let me preach, I'm not going to even come to church. Bad thing to say. Because God may never have it for you to preach. So, well, if I can't be the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, then I'm just out of here. Well, you know, your chances are slim. There's only been four in the last 75 years. <laughs> and I'm here now, and I, unless you folks just rebel real strong, I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. And even if I... Thank you. No, but even if I... Even if I dropped over dead, there'd probably be a lot of competition. <laughs> Now I'm being silly. Uh, Paul said, bear with me in my foolishness. Here is, a, here is a song. We opened with a song. Let's close with one. Can we get someone to help me sing? The potter saw a vessel. It had been broken. Remember that little song? I'll let Lyndall get it in the right key. And... <laughs> Did you notice the panic on his face when I started in that key that no one has ever, no one has ever played in that key before? It's a brand new, even Beethoven never heard of that key. Sister Joy, brother, these girls are going to sing. There's two great sisters there, stayed in the potter's house. I look across this audience, so many great Christians here, so many wonderful people. We admire them. And you know why? Because there's so many people here that have been through unspeakable things. But you discovered somewhere along the way that if I'm going to make it as a Christian, I've got to stay in that potter's house. And there's wheels in there and they're going to spin me around and they're going to shape me and push me and shape me and form me. But stay in there. And if you break... A little flaw, maybe a little rock somewhere in your little, your little clay puddle. But gotta say, don't panic. I'll, I'll make something out of you. And 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 maybe in the end, what he makes out of you will be more useful than what you would have been originally. But remember, here's the key: it must always be what God wants, not what you want. You can dream of this or that or something else, and all the time God's trying to get you. I'm trying to get you to go to South America, and you're wanting to go to. You're wanting to go to Plainfield. And you're just in a great wrestle with God. God's trying to get, he's trying to get you down to uh, Rio de Janeiro and you're trying to go to Chicago. 
You've got to let God mold you. Well, I think I've made the point. Now, just stay right where you are. And uh, let's sing this song in your own way. Maybe we could just reduce all the confusion. No one, no one leave for a moment and just close our eyes. And let's sing. Don't, don't just listen, but sing this song if you know the words. Let's sing. It was broken by the wind and the rain. And he saw it with so much compassion. You know what he did? To make, to make it over again. Listen to this now. Well... Don't you know that I, I was that vessel. Mm, I had been broken. And no one thought that I was any good. Oh, I cried, Lord. You're the potter and I am the clay. Make me over again today. He picked up all the pieces of my broken heart that day. And he, he made me a new creature, a new vessel. And now I am no longer the same. Wow. That's a great song, isn't it? Say, I want to do something really spiritual tonight. I really want to get my life straightened out. Then come on down to the potter's house. And let God make of your life what he wants you to be. Throw away your agenda. Throw away your own plans. And let God make of you what he wants you to do. You don't have a clue what God might have for you. Brother Lloyd, in all of your years of preaching, have you ever had an experience like that before, like you had down in French Lake? No. Could you have ever guessed that someday you would go down to that little church? You see, how old are you, Brother Larry? How old? Don't be ashamed, Larry. 68? You're almost 68. He doesn't look 68, does he? That's because he's only 67. Sixty-eight, and I hope when I'm sixty-eight years old, God has a little, little, little mission for me to go some church that's never heard about water baptism in Jesus' name, and, and I get a chance to baptize twenty people. Wow, that'd be so great. See, if you try to manage your own life, you might miss that. 
Or you might be 38 and say, nothing's happening to me, but maybe God is just getting you ready for what he wants you to do at 68. You say, well, I don't believe God would use a whole life for... God might use one whole life for one little simple job. See, we're, he manages us. We, we're not the rulers of the universe. If God said, I just want you to be faithful. I want you to labor. And someday I've got something for you to do. Could you trust God in that? And wait on the Lord? Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Could we bring ourselves tonight, all of you, to the potter's house? I want to fill up prayer rooms tonight. And Calvary, I know we can't all get around the front. I wish we could sometimes. But all over these pews, I'd like for you just to kneel. And let's just have a prayer meeting tonight. And say, God, I want you to help me. I yield myself to you. I'm not looking for a shortcut. I just want to live under the shadow of your love and your protection. I'm calling you to just an old-fashioned surrender to God. I wonder who would come first. There are no shortcuts. But if you will submit yourself to the potter's wheel tonight, there's no telling what God will do for you. Jesus, would you stand so others can get out for just a moment? If you're, unless you're already kneeling, just make room, make room, make room.